You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Talk about a lot of fun things today on the Q&A. How to do a cyber attack. I give the specific details. I give a brand new $10 million business idea. I also talk about what exactly is the economic reality now, and is it disconnected from the stock market. Also talk about how to create a fashion line and my favorite little idea, creating the CHAZ, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone in Seattle region, the CHAZ Travel Agency, plus answer many more questions. I also wanna add, I want people to start texting me questions throughout the day so I can either answer them on the spot or answer them in the IG Lives. You can text me anytime. When you text me, it'll send back a, a sign up text. Text me at 203-590-8607. So that's 203-590-8607. Text me anytime. Ask me questions. I'll also text back once a week or more. My idealists, any meetups I'm in, and so on. Anyway, enjoy the Q&A. Here it is. everybody. Max, first one to join. Uh, welcome. And we'll be answering some questions. But first, it's been a couple of days. It's been, this is Tuesday. It's been since Friday. And this all, it's like, I really do feel right now like we're living in a simulation. Don't you feel that way? <laughs> it's like every day it, it does, the kind of world sort of reminds me of when I read about, honestly, uh, Germany in the 1930s because like it's it gets worse and everyone said okay this is bad but it's at least it's not going to get anything any worse like okay they made us all wear stars but at least it's not going to get worse than this they made us all give up uh, our businesses but at least it's not going to get worse than this okay they forced us out of our homes and into the ghetto but at least it's not going to get any worse than this okay they're telling us to go out of Germany and into these summer camps but at least it's not gonna get any worse than this. So I sort of feel like I'm not comparing, I mean, I am comparing the world now to World War II because it does almost feel like that. Like, oh, there's this crazy pandemic. Everybody better stay indoors. Oh, crazy pandemic. Nobody's even allowed to open their businesses or go outside. 
oh my gosh, this crazy pandemic, everyone needs to wear a mask and gloves and stay inside unless they're an essential worker. Or if you're a 15 year old boy or girl and we need delivery of groceries. Like there was all, the hypocrisy began pretty early on. Like no schools allowed, but if you're a teenage boy or girl, then sure you can deliver food to all the susceptible populations in your city. And so that's when the hypocrisy began. Like someone, and, and look, you can make predictions all you want about this pandemic. Sometimes you'll be right. Sometimes you'll be wrong. Sometimes I've been right. Sometimes I've been wrong. But someone just mentioned me on Twitter and said, oh, Jay Altucher must be pretty feeling pretty guilty right now about opening up his club and having a comedy show outdoors when cases have been ticking up. Well, a couple of things I want to mention. When we did the comedy show outdoors, everybody was where everybody in the audience was wearing a mask and everybody was socially distanced six feet apart and so on. Second off at the exact same time, 50,000 people were gathering in Washington square park downtown and they were not social distancing. So that's, and they didn't have a mask. hundred percent of them did not have a mask. Yeah. Some of them had masks. Some of them didn't, right. but, and by the way, I'm not saying they were wrong. I'm saying it was, it's wrong to accuse us of like, why would I feel guilty about having a comedy show, nor would I feel guilty about going to a protest. We went to a protest, yeah. like, the, and, and here's the reality. Some place, some, in some places in the United States, uh, cases and hospitalizations were ticking up, but in New York City right now, and I'll, I'll take a look at it, uh, uh, in New York City right now, there were, or in New York State, all of New York State, there were two, two new hospitalizations in the entire state. So, while I do think it's hypocrisy that that Andrew Cuomo yesterday said we've got to we've got to um, take away the liquor licenses of every business that's open, and it's so hypocritical. When right when yesterday there was a you know huge protest with thousands of people in Brooklyn, why didn't he shut that down? So I'm not saying he should shut the protest down. I'm saying he shouldn't shut the businesses down. There was only two hospitalizations in the entire state. I don't even know what fraction that is. Right. So you got to give people a chance to make a living and support their families or else there's going to be the anger is going to keep boiling up. Don't think the protests are not related to the economy and the lockdown and the tensions and the stress and the uncertainty. Of course, the protests are about George Floyd being killed and a history of police brutality and racism and all sorts of other injustices and the rioting and, and looting is related to the simmering tension of being locked in your house with 40 million people losing their jobs during uh, these lockdowns. So just stop being hypocritical. That's all we ask. And just stay consistent. Yeah, like let there be protests and, and let's listen to the protesters. But at the same time, if someone opens up their restaurant and, and, you know, they social distancing even has masks, mm -hmm. people will make their own choices. I'll make my own choice. If I want to go into a restaurant without a mask. Now you can argue that that endangers all other people, but it, let's say if the virus is rampant, but there's only two hospitalizations yesterday in New York city. Now, someone also said, James, are you going to admit you're wrong? There's increasing hospitalizations 
And then, and I've seen all these things, Alabama, Arizona, Texas, Florida, that's all have been mentioned. And the fact is I had to look cause I didn't know. And in all of those states, none of, some of those states have about equal hospitalizations as they were a week ago. Almost all, actually all of them are down from the peak and all of them are down from where they were two or three weeks ago. So I'm not quite sure yet where I'm wrong. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is the U.S. in general has declining new daily new hospitalizations now. And if anything, I'd be worried about New York City with 50,000 people protesting, which is fine. Not arguing against the protesting and Chaz, the Capitol yeah. Hill Autonomous Zone um, in Seattle. If anybody's in the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone in Seattle, I'd be curious what you think. You're even welcome to come on my podcast and talk about it. Send me a message or tweet to me on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. I'll check all my boxes on Instagram. Uh, but I've seen two conflicting stories about the so-called Chaz. First off, I've heard, I've read one article. I think by, this might be the BS headline of the day. I've heard this on CNN. Uh, it's like a, if somebody said it's like a festival there. It's like an yeah. arts festival. So everybody is like playing music and hanging out and peacefully trying to figure out solutions yeah. in the Seattle Autonomous Zone, the, the, or the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, but there are guns. <laughs> And so everybody's, you know, not everybody, some people are carrying guns. I've also seen, so the flip side is I've seen videos. It's not like um, these are hidden. I've seen videos on Twitter of people fighting. I've seen arson, examples of arson, people burning stores. There was one case where uh, a crowd tried to stop an arsonist and then another crowd tried to protect the arsonist by threatening the crowd that was trying to stop the arsonist. So. This, the, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, to me, I mean, and maybe I'm a little older. I feel like as I get older, I want I I want things to be worked out within the status quo. Maybe because I care about my family and and friends, and I care about my own safety. Maybe you know, I'm not as willing to take risks. I don't know, but uh, it does seem to me that the the Chaz. If I were, if I were thinking at rationally, I would say to myself, hmm, somebody here is trying to create a Waco style situation. So Waco was this early nineties, um, cult, you know, town in Texas. There was a cult there. David Koresh was running the cult. Uh, it's the Branch Davidian cult. And it, there ended up being a shootout between the, the federal, the FBI and police and the Branch Davidian cult. And there was a fire that was set and everybody died, including all the children yeah. that were there. Yeah, it was, it was in Texas. Were you living in I Texas? Know, yeah. yeah, I was in Dallas. So was that like horrible news? Like, was of everybody... course, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, but I guess if you heard something about that now, it wouldn't be so crazy. Yeah, now it's like, okay, that was, that's a <laughs> Tuesday. Like, oh, okay, that yeah. was, uh, that's but, a Tuesday. But I sort of feel like they're the, that, that the, somebody wants that to happen in the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. I sort of feel like there's innocent people there who are peacefully protesting and trying to work out solutions. And look, mm -hmm. if you saw Dave Chappelle's special the other day, eight minutes and 46 seconds, he very 
uh, carefully kind of spoke about the anger and the history behind that anger. And I could see why people are, who are in this Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone don't necessarily trust the government and they're trying, they think they are trying an experiment. Oh, we can live without the U.S. government. The U.S. government is not going to let them live that way. And the people who are behind, whoever is behind the scenes here, they know that there's going to be a conflict ultimately with the U.S. government. I'm not saying there should be a conflict. I'm saying there are people who are planning on there being a conflict and, um, uh, and they hope that there are deaths involved and that that will spur further revolt and revolution and rioting and looting. And who knows if it's an individual, if it's a group, I think no one could, no one has really been answered, able to answer these questions. Like when I have talked to both Democrat officials and Republican officials, mm -hmm. everybody says something different. Republicans say Antifa, um, Democrats say white supremacists. I just don't think we have any idea. And other people say it's just crazy individuals, but there are definitely people who are not peaceful protesters who are in Seattle or inside this autonomous zone who want and hope for conflict in order to cre create more protests, more anarchy, and so on. And so we're just going to see what happens. I think, you know, anybody who says this is just a fun festival should probably be voted out of office, like the Seattle mayor and, and governor. I just noted that the um, lieutenant governor of Washington started following me on Twitter. I kind of want to bring him on the podcast just to see what his thoughts are on this, because maybe he has an, a more unbiased opinion because lieutenant governors are like vice presidents. They don't have anything to do. Yeah. And uh, uh, meanwhile, then, and yesterday then, I don't know if you noticed, but I know for me, the internet wasn't working so well in the morning. Then later on in the day, everyone was telling us, oh my gosh, the internet's not working. And then by the end of the day, a Twitter account with six and a half million followers named Anonymous tweeted that there was this huge cyber attack against the US, the largest cyber attack in the US history. And it's been debunked. T-Mobile said, no, 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 we just had some crossed wires, but who knows? Maybe there was a cyber attack, maybe it wasn't. Everybody's now blaming it on T-Mobile, but we we don't use T-Mobile and we were hearing I, it. I, I, I do. Uh, you use T-Mobile, but we in the house. Oh yeah, no. It, and then if you look at um, the complaints, there are various websites that keep track of all the complaints. Every Verizon, um, Sprint, AT&T, T-Mobile yeah. all spiked in complaints yesterday evening. So who knows? I don't know. And uh, uh, you know, Here's how, by the way, just so, just in case you want to do a denial uh, a denial of service attack, just in case you want to do a cyber attack, I'll explain really briefly how you can do a, a cyber attack. Basically, <laughs> basically, the, the basics is, is that you hit a company's main computers, their servers, with so many requests, like trillions of requests, all at the same second, so many requests that the server goes down because they can't handle it all. Now you think, well, okay, uh, if I'm if I'm AT&T and I have a, or if I'm McDonald's and somebody's trying to bring down Mc, all the McDonald's servers, well, I'll just see where all those attacks are coming from and then I'll block that, uh, that location. But here's the clever thing is that these denial of service attacks, they, they do something called spoofing. They pretend to be coming from all over the world and 
then there's no one location you can block. You can't figure out where they're coming from. Now, do they pretend or are they really coming from all around the world? Good question that you didn't ask. So there's something called bot armies. So you ever click on an email and the email says, hey, James, um, this is the message I meant to send you the other day about your bank account. You gotta be careful. Click here to find out what's going on. And you click and nothing happens. And then you figured, huh, maybe I accidentally just clicked on a virus, but nothing seemed to happen. Trust me when I say something did just happen. On almost every computer, including probably this one, except this one's just out of the box a week ago, but like almost every Fortune 500 company and many home computers are infected by what are called these invisible or silent bots. And what happens when you click on one of those links is that a bot downloads itself into the operating system of your computer. It hides itself so that, you know, virus software can't find it and it just sleeps. And then at some point, a signal gets sent out to all the bots and it says, okay, start making millions of requests to mcdonalds.com or att.com or jamesaltucher.com or whatever. And that, that's how these, these bots, these bot armies are like sleeper cells and they're on millions and millions of computers. I can guarantee you there's probably a 90% chance your home computers or your laptops or whatever are infected. I remember one time I was looking at investing in a company that detects bot armies. And I said, you know, how are you actually, you know, is there software you can make that can outwit, that can be more clever than the people making the bot armies? And this company was made up of all PhDs, about 20 PhDs worked there, all PhDs in math and computer science. And they said specifically, no matter how smart we are, they're, they're smarter. Whoever's creating the bot armies is smarter than us. No matter what we do, they will come up with methods more clever. So the only thing you can do is really just don't ever click on a link that's in an email. Even if, so like the other day, I got an email um, uh, from Google and everything about that email looked correct. It said, James, it looks like somebody logged into your account from Kansas City, Missouri. And I, I didn't click on anything, but I checked, um, and everywhere I checked the, uh, the source code of the email. It looked completely legit to me, but when I separately, so I went onto a different computer, I logged into my Google account. I checked for all access. There was no login from Kansas city, Missouri. So something was wrong with that email. I have no idea what it was, but I'm sure if I clicked on something, then I would have downloaded a bot or a virus. Chances are not a virus. Viruses are more rare than you think, but bots are extremely common and that's how you do a denial of service attack. But you might ask, I don't have access to a bot army. How would I find a bot army? Well, there's something called the dark web where you can actually, there are bot armies for hire. So if I wanted to, for instance, attack a company, let's say I'm a, uh, uh, a, a gas station and I have a competitor, um, down the street or I have an e-commerce store and I have a competitor, uh, on the web. I can go onto the dark web and I won't really say anymore how to get there. Cause then it's, it's not that I'm trying to hide anything, but, uh, there's no point that, you know, there's many ways to access the dark web. You could, you could maybe Google it, but, um, uh, I would go onto the dark web 
and I would hire a bot army using Bitcoin and I would use fake names um, every step of the way. And I would, and I would maybe log in from, uh, uh, I would leave my cell phone at home because they could track, you know, the, the, the government could uh, use uh, um, towers, you know, GPS to see where your phone hooked up and they could find out where you were located. So I would leave my phone at home. I would get a laptop that I've never used. I would go to uh, a, a Starbucks or a FedEx where I could log in or a public access place. I would log into the dark web. I would hire a bot army. I would aim it and I'd pay with Bitcoin, which is untraceable, or I would use even Zcash, which is even more private and untraceable. And then I would hire a bot army to invade my uh, competitor's online store. So that in a nutshell is how to do a, a denial of service attack. attack. Now, usually, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, Sprint, they have the most sophisticated software of all to combat these denial of service attacks. But if it's huge, if it's trillions and trillions of, of, of um, you know, service requests and uh, uh, there's hundreds of bot armies and it's coming from all over the world, it's a little bit, if it's, if it's really coordinated like that from, and you know, apparently North Korea has the skills, China has the skills, Iran, the, so the USSR, not the USSR, Russia, uh, they all have the skills to do it. They could, they could do it. And then people say, well, how does North Korea know so much? They're kind of, where do they get the skills? Well, North, North Korea will send through South Korea or China, they will send, um, their smartest, uh, teenagers to schools like NYU or MIT or whatever. And they'll threaten to kill the families if the teenagers don't return. And then those people start getting the skills to um, do these attacks. So that in a nutshell is all about. And it happens every day, actually. Like the DDoS, they said that that goes on all the time. Yeah, forever. Like I remember so, in, in 1994 I, or 1995, I was keeping track of the web servers for AmericanExpress.com, mm -hmm. HBO.com and a couple places. I would say even in 1995, every single second, and now it's every single millionth of a second. Right. But every single second, people were trying to log into mm -hmm. these large websites. So you can guarantee now it's a million times a second. Right. And so it's scary when you see it or when you, yeah. Yeah. And that's why the people who are in that business, like, look at, you know, I did a podcast with John McAfee the other day. McAfee started McAfee Software. And uh, that guy is a, lunatic like he is mentally he's a billionaire for all i know and and i told him to his face he's he's a mentally ill lunatic like he was in belize he murdered someone and was on the run now he's in an undisclosed location for evading the u.s for tax revenues but we just zoomed and did a podcast check out the podcast it was kind of funny Crazy. so and he's but he's a very smart guy because these these guys have to think six levels ahead and they have to be totally paranoid and that's, oh, I can imagine living like that. Yeah, and so I wonder, was he paranoid first or did like trying to combat viruses make him paranoid or maybe a little bit of both? I don't a know. A little bit of both, probably. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, 
I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Somebody just asked, Max just asked, and he was the first one to log in. Max just asked, can you, um, a pawn shop just moved into his town. Can I please discuss the pawn shop business model again? I would say two. there are two business models <clears throat> that are the best business models on the planet. There's no business models better than these two business models. One is insurance companies, and I'll describe that at some other point. That's why Warren Buffett, he, he Warren Buffett was originally in what he thought was the best business model, which was the hedge fund business. And he's like, you know what? The hedge fund business is not the best business model. The biggest scam I can possibly do, because Warren Buffett will do the biggest scam possible, is the insurance company business. But the second best business model, and it's not a scam actually, although a lot of people think it's a scam, the second best business model on the planet is pawn shops. So imagine this. So like Robin, let's say you didn't have a bank account. And by the way, 20 or 30 million people in the US don't have bank accounts. They can't afford one. You know, you have to have a minimum, you know, balance or they can't afford all the services. Like a bank will charge you $20 $20 a month to keep an account and a savings account. And you might not have, a lot of people just don't have an extra $20 a month. That's part of the problem. Yeah, $240 <laughs> a year is expensive. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a good number of people are what's called unbanked. And let's say someone who's unbanked wants to borrow money. You can go to your friends, but your friends don't have any money either. It's not like, oh, I'm just gonna go to my rich friend who went to Harvard. No, if you're unbanked, your rich friend from Harvard is not returning your call. You don't have a rich friend from Harvard. So uh, here's what you do. You take your, whatever you can find, a bunch of books. Maybe, you find, maybe you're going through the trash and you find a watch or you find your grandfather's old, you know, you know Joe DiMaggio signed baseball glove, whatever, or you, or you take a gun. A lot of things in pawn shops are guns. Anyway, you take an item and you go to the pawn shop and you say, I want to borrow $500. I'll pay you back in two weeks when I get paid from my job. And they're like, okay, 
we'll lend you $500, maybe, what do you got? And so you say, well, I've got this gun. And so you show them a gun, and I don't know, I don't know guns really. Uh, you show them a Rolex watch. Okay, so let's say I've got this old Rolex watch, it's 1979, the XYZ special Rolex watch. And the, here's what the pawn shop does at that exact moment. The pawn shop guy goes into his back office, he logs onto eBay, and he types in the exact specifications of your Rolex watch. By the way, he knows if you have a fake or not because he's an expert. What if it's stolen? <clears throat> Doesn't matter. He'll he'll do it. Huh? I mean, a lot of well, I'll I'll I'll, okay. I'll get to that in a second. Okay. So let's say it's not stolen. Okay. Um, but good question. Though. That's a good question. <laughs> I should I should have. So so uh, pawn shop guys who work for a long time in a pawn shop. They're experts on diamonds, they're experts on jewelry, they're experts on guns, they're experts on Rolexes, and they're experts on cars, among other things. They're experts on anything collectible. Yeah. But he'll know, so he'll know if your Rolex, and I say it's a he for a reason, he'll know if it's um, a Rolex or not. Mm -hmm. Then he'll go to his back office, he'll type in all the specifications of your Rolex, and he'll see, oh, this Rolex goes for $2,000 on eBay. Mm -hmm. So I know, if uh, I can lend this gentleman $500 and I'll keep the Rolex and if he doesn't pay back in, and by the way, I'm going to lend it out at, he has to pay me back 20% in a month. So I'll lend him $500 and if he doesn't pay me $600 in a month, so if he pays me $600 in a month, I will give him back the Rolex mm -hmm. and I made $100. Yeah. That's great. 20% on your money, if you can lend out all your money and make, you know, 20% a month is hundreds of percent a year. So if you could basically, I mean, you, there's no investor in the world who can safely make hundreds of percent a year. So yeah. if, 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 if everybody wants their possessions back, then the, then the worst case scenario for the pawn shop is that they make hundreds of percent a year. They lend out all their money every month and they get back hundreds of percent a year. But let's say that guy doesn't come back with the $500, mm -hmm. then, then you go to onto eBay and you know, the guy knows he could sell for $2,000. So he just, he just lent out $500 and a month later he's selling it on eBay for 2000. Well, let's say that $2,000 price was BS on eBay. Well, he'll sell it for $700. So he makes back 40% in a month on his investment, which is an annualized, you know, compounded and annualized thousand percent. Uh, it, it's as if, it's like a bank has a savings account and gives out a half a percent, and um, a, a pawn shop is it charges basically the equivalent of an annualized thousand percent a year. Uh, wow. So it's it, it, you know normally when a bank lends money, let's say they lend you money to buy a house, they will only you know make five or six percent a year from you, and then let's say you don't pay them back, they've got to go through all these legal procedures to get the house. Pawn shop doesn't have to do any legal thing because they already own, they already have in their, in their safe, yeah. the Rolex, the diamond, the, the, the gun, whatever they have it. And they have, um, huge security. There's armed guards 24 hours a day. By the way, that's why most of the employees at pawn shops are men because there is violence at pawn shops and there's risk. Everybody working at a pawn shop is carrying a gun. There's also plain clothes people, uh, security guards carrying guns. So there's, and, and everybody who goes to a pawn shop knows that. They know they cannot be violent in, in a pawn shop because they will be shot or they will be beaten up or whatever. So 
So that so the pawn shops and enormous business, you lend out money, but you uh, and it's collateral. There's collateral, but you keep the collateral and you charge enormous interest. Now to your question, what if it's stolen? Here's the crazy thing about pawn shops is that most of the people going to pawn shops are repeat customers. So they go every month and hey, hey, here's my Rolex watch. Can I have that $500 again? Then they come back and they pay $600. Then two weeks later, they come back and say, oh, here's my Rolex. I got to borrow money again. All right, here's $500. So most of the people are repeat customers. So they know the pawn shops has a relationship with the community and the customers. So pawn shops, by the way, are rarely looted, even in riots, because people, that's the banking system of poor neighborhoods is the pawn shop. Wow. There's no other bank. And that is the bank yeah. of a poor neighborhood. So it's an unbelievable. I remember in 2002, I needed to um, uh, protect, I needed to invest some money. And so what I did was I created basically a poor index. So I invest, there were several public companies that were pawn shops, payday lenders, rent to furniture stores, all of these companies that only work in basically the ghetto. And those stocks have all done well and they will continue to do well. They're going to do well even, even more. So now that, you know, we're in a recession, there's all these people unemployed, pawn shops are probably flourishing. I so, wonder what the percentage of people that um, actually just let their item go. Uh, not, not as big as you would think. Huh. A lot of people will, so, so my business partner, his family is in the pawn shop business. This is how I know so much about it is I've been to the pawn shop many times and I myself have bought things at the pawn shop, uh, it, it, like a gun, whatever. But, uh, uh, Dan was telling me that it's, it's people come back for their stuff and the pawn shop actually is very reluctant to just say in 30 days, okay, I'm selling it on eBay. Cause they don't want to, they want to be part of the community. They realize they're the bank for the community but they'll continue to charge the interest. They'll charge 20% a month interest. So if you come back in two months, instead of owing 600, you now owe $720. Another month later, you owe whatever it is, uh, $850. I wonder if eBay, uh, when they came along, if it hurt their business at all. No, it made their, it, so good question. So did eBay hurt the pawn shop business? No, it made the business better because the problem pawn shops have is what if you give them so, something they can't sell? Yeah. Like what if you show up with like, you know, um, a bird cage? Mm -hmm. How are they gonna just randomly sell a bird cage? Whereas a Rolex has, is almost like a commodity. It has a real yeah. price and there's demand for it. And so eBay gives them a way to just flip every item. Uh, and they know, and also eBay gives them an ability to price. Yeah. So because again, a lot of people, nobody, very few people go to the pawn shop thinking they're gonna lose their item forever. They actually think it is yeah. a loan and they're gonna get their item back. So they don't wanna sell it on eBay. So that's a different client. But it is a good question though. Can you create an online pawn shop? So two business models around this. Can you create an online pawn shop? And the answer is, I don't know. That would be a really good business model. But pawn shops are regulated state by state. So if you were to create an online pawn shop, like, oh, send us your Rolex and we'll immediately Venmo you. We'll, we'll actually send a messenger to pick up your Rolex mm -hmm. and we'll immediately Venmo, Venmo you the $500. So an online pawn shop model would work extremely well. And in fact, because you don't have to pay for a physical location and security and that employees, you just have to pay for the messenger. Uh, mm -hmm. It's actually, you could, I could underprice the community pawn shops. Yeah. So, so an online pawn shop model would work 
maybe you have to be based in the Cayman Islands or Ireland or, or something like that. Or be based out of a, 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 a brick and mortar pawn shop. Well, but then, but, 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 but you're regulated state by state and you're oh. even regulated city by city in some cases. And some states actually try to limit the interest um, that you can charge. The problem with that is, is that then people in these neighborhoods can't get any banking. So it's really bad when there's regulation involved. And But people think it's exploitive of poor people. Sure. But every business is a little bit exploitive. And so, mm. but the, at the same time, it's exploitive. But at the same time, if the interest is too high, competitor pawn shops will open up and undercut. And... Uh, this is the only banking for poor people. So, so an online pawn shop would be a great business model. I just don't know the legality. But here's another great business model, which I know would work. And we've tested this idea out. We know there's demand. Uh, and I've just never done it. So I'm just really, so this is another, I'm going to give the 10 million business idea of the week without it being Friday. But this idea will work. It's just a little bit more expensive to start. So what you do is every pawn shop needs more money. So mm -hmm. I just said how they get up to thousands of percent interest a year. Like if you could charge 20% a month on, and you keep the collateral, that's a bulletproof, literally a bulletproof right. business model. But here's the thing. Banks will not lend to pawn shops because pawn shops feel a little shady and it feels exploitive to poor neighborhoods. Banks will refuse all a hundred percent of the banks mm -hmm. refuse to lend money to pawn shops. So a great business model, and it's a wide open business model, is to go to all the legit pawn, like I would go to pawn shops that have existed for 20 years or more. So they're established in the community. You know, they're, they're well known by the Small Business Administration and so on. And I, will, I would offer credit lines to pawn shops and I could charge 10% a month. I know I, pawn shops run out of money all the time. Enough people borrow money Where's the pawn shop going to get extra cash? Well, do you think people like use them for to wash their money? Do you think that's why it's a little rough? Maybe uh, they're they're getting their money loans from like loan sharks. I don't know what you call no, them. No, no, I don't I'm think so. Wondering. I don't think so because it's you know, uh, but it could be. But you know, I don't know. Okay. Uh, but in my experience, pawn shops are so heavily regulated as opposed to other cash businesses like laundromat mats and famously from Breaking Bad car washes or, you know, video game arcades or whatever, that pawn shops are so heavily regulated, they're probably not used by, they're probably not run by criminals. Mm -hmm. But to, uh, it's a great business model to go to pawn shops and lend, you know, when they run out of cash to be available, that they could draw down and whatever they draw, whatever amount of cash they draw down, you charge 10% a month or even 5% a month. If you if you were getting five percent a month, then the compounded that's about a hundred percent a year. Um, you know, it's actually it's about one hundred twenty percent a year. You will uh, you'll make an enormous amount of money, and you could do this all over the country. There's no there's there's no limitation on the need for money by pawn shops. So you could literally whatever money you, is invested in you. So you could let's say you uh, uh, you know other hedge funds will invest in you. And you, they can invest up to probably several hundred million dollars with you. And you could put all that money to work every single month going to pawn shops around the country. And you'll instantly be worth tens of millions of dollars. So that is the $10 million business idea of the week. But unlike other business models that I've shared, this one costs a little bit of money to start. 
Not a lot though. I can go to a pawn shop down the street and say, hey, if you need an extra $10,000, you could draw it down for me. And then start from that. And then you get investors when you have a track record and so on. So you could start with somewhat little, but it just, it'll take a little bit more time to ramp up. And you, and again, by, I have not seen anyone do this. And every time I'll know, I know why this is true. First off, I know from the pawn shops that I personally know when I've mentioned this idea to them, they said, we will borrow from you today. If you start this second, one time I had on, I don't know if you remember, um, there was a reality show called, I think it was Pawn Stars. And it followed this one family that had a pawn shop in Detroit or, or someplace in Michigan, Flint, Michigan. And Seth Abrams, I think Seth was his name. I forgot what his name was. Seth something. He was, he's been on my podcast twice now and I've been on his podcast and he runs a pawn shop. And I, on my podcast, I described the model to him and he said, you know what? I never thought of that. I will borrow money from you today. Every time I meet anyone in the pawn shop business and I describe this model, yeah. they don't want to do it for some reason, but they always say, we would borrow from you today. You should start that. Uh -huh. So Max, thanks for that answer. Just gave you the $10 million business model of a day, plus a class in how to, why, how business, how pawn shops are run. Oh, the other question, the other question you asked Robin mm -hmm. about what if it's stolen. So in addition to being, you know, they deal with repeat customers and they're also very good at, um, you, you know, they, they have relationships with the police, they, they, know, but, but at the same time they have insurance. So if something's stolen, it's insured. So uh, that's how they avoid that. Uh, uh, what do you think? This is a great question from JBTIV. What do you think the actual reality of the economy is? And when do you expect markets to reflect the actual reality? Great question. It's really two questions. The first question is, what is this actual state of the economy? And the other question is, when, when will the stock market reflect the reality? Here's the answer to the second question. The stock market does reflect the reality. Why is Amazon at an all time high? The answer is because all of the competition was just went out of business. The clothes, the furniture store at the bottom of our building just went out of business. They're not, they're not locked down anymore. They're for rent. There's a for rent sign. Yeah. So, so they're gone. So if I'm going to buy furniture, I used to go to the bottom of the building. If I was going to buy shoes, I would go across the street. That's out of business too, for rent sign. So now where do I go? I don't know. I'll go to Amazon. So the better financed companies are the ones on the stock market. There's a reason why the stock market's up is because all the mom and pop companies have sadly gone out of business. The stock market has never been connected to the economy. The stock market is about the bigger, well-financed, well-capitalized, companies that do well when the local economies do poorly. The second thing is the stock market reflects uncertainty versus certainty. Well, because I mean, just yesterday, this is big news. Actually, just yesterday, the federal reserve. So I'm going to give econ lesson 101. So the federal reserve since 1913 has been manipulating the stock market. And how do they do that? Well, when they raise interest rates, Stock, this, traditionally, the stock market used to raise interest rates or lower interest rates, and they would do that by either buying or selling government bonds. They would either loan more to the government or they would loan less to the U.S. government. That's all they would do. And so when there's high interest rates, you put your you keep your money in the bank because your savings accounts have better interest and it's safe. When there's low interest rates, what do you do with your money? You got to put it in the stock market. 
But now the Federal Reserve is doing something brand new, and they announced it for the first time yesterday. They've never done this before. The Federal Reserve announced that they're going to buy individual corporate bonds. So if McDonald's borrows money from big hedge funds or whatever, the Federal Reserve will buy those bonds from the hedge funds. And now instead of the McDonald's paying back the hedge funds, McDonald's has to pay back the federal government. Well, guess what? If McDonald's or AMC or Amazon or any Procter and Gamble, if these companies cannot pay back their bonds, it used to be the hedge funds would sue them. But now the federal government is just going to say, is just going to wink at them and say, look, Elon Musk, you just borrowed a billion dollars from, from, from Wells Fargo. Don't worry about it. We got your back. We're going to turn the other way for at least a year. But you can't sue them. Well, well, the Federal Reserve, well, no, the, the government is not going to, the government has the option to sue, but they're not going to. The, the government has the option to seize their assets, yeah. but they're not going to. This is their way of making sure the biggest companies don't go bankrupt. The biggest companies now can borrow an infinite amount of money and not worry about not paying it back because if the economy is going south, the Federal Reserve will say, hey, Elon, don't worry. Shh. Don't do anything. Just don't talk about it and we'll ignore the fact that you owe us money. We'll ignore it for another year, two years, five years. Just relax, Elon. Don't worry anymore. And so all the biggest companies now just got a free pass to borrow as much money as possible. So let's look at the good, the bad and the ugly. The good is, is that companies like Tesla can borrow more and more money and innovate and create jobs and send people to space and do whatever it is they do. And Procter & Gamble can make more and more toothpaste and can hire more and more people to work in the factories and that will build the economy. That's the good. The bad is, is that companies can borrow as much money as possible and there's kind of, um, I forgot what it's called, it's, uh, they're allowed, they feel a little more free, like they're allowed to make mistakes because the government's got their back. Mm -hmm. Now hopefully they don't make mistakes, but they're allowed to. It's a moral hazard, it's called moral hazard mm -hmm. in the financial markets. And the ugly is, is that you can look at what the Fed announced yesterday and say, the Fed is going to bail out the big billionaires, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, whoever runs McDonald's. But if you borrowed money to get an education at Harvey Mudd College or Quinnipiac College, if you borrowed as an individual $200,000, the Fed's not going to protect you. You're going to go bankrupt. And if you borrowed money for your house, but lost your job, your house is still going to be taken from you. The Fed doesn't care about you. They care about Procter & Gamble. The Fed's view is, is that if you go broke, we don't want to give you the incentive to not work anymore. We got to make sure you're working at Procter & Gamble. We just bailed out Procter & Gamble. We're not bailing you out because you have to have incentive to lose your house and move to wherever and work in a factory. We can't disincentivize you or else that's bad. So that's the ugly side of what the Fed did yesterday. But that is why the stock market is up huge today. Is that not economic reality? No, that is economic reality. The stock market is celebrating the fact that at a, at a deeper level than ever before, the Federal Reserve has given them a free pass for infinite free money. And now you can say, oh, the dollar's going to collapse. I've addressed that in other episodes and in my newsletter, so I'm not going to address that again. But Suffice to say, the Federal Reserve is not worried about that and, and with good reason. So that was the good, the bad, and the ugly, but it's also why the stock market does reflect economic reality. Now, 
What's the actual economic reality for the average citizen? And that is scary. Not scary for everyone. It's just uncertain. Like, what's going to happen when all the pizza restaurants in New York City go out of business and the, the, the commercial real estate uh, companies that own those buildings can't pay their own mortgages? They have mortgages too. Yeah. Well, the entire commercial real estate industry could go bankrupt. What's going to happen when 15% of students don't return to colleges in September and colleges are missing out on $23 billion in revenues? Well, colleges are going to go out of business and public colleges are going to lose money. So states are going to need money. And what happens when 40 million people can't pay taxes because they all lost their jobs? State taxes will go to zero. States, cities, everything. Talk about defund the police. How about defund everything? Defund teachers, defund bridges, defund any infrastructure projects, defund the firemen. They're just simply not going to have the money to, to uh, it's going to be like New York City in the mid 70s when it was just a, uh, New York City was one big autonomous yeah. region yeah, in the right. 70s. Wow. It's a domino effect. So, yes, the stock market reflects economic reality. The actual economic reality is probably far worse. But the truth is, we don't really know. There's a trickle-down effect. That's a theory. We just don't know how fast it works. If the biggest companies expand, which is what the Federal Reserve is betting on, then... Um, uh, maybe they will hire everybody and maybe it will save the, the bottom echelons of the economy. But I do think for you and me listening to this, uh, now is the time to develop your side hustles, to develop your businesses, to be a little bit independent of what I call corporatism. The idea that you always have to just graduate college and then sign up for the first corporation that accepts you. There's all these articles right now on the Internet. How to apply for jobs if you lost your job. Maybe there should be a little bit more focus. People should be a little more independent of the government and corporatism because they haven't treated you that well lately, to be honest. <laughs> so, so, you know, we've discussed side hustles here many times. I will continue to do so. Um, but every side hustle, it, it seems like they're small, but every single side hustle can be developed into a multi-million dollar business. So... Uh, you know what I've noticed with Amazon too is recently that they're doing more of their uh, private labeling of products. What does that mean? So they're just having their own name on oh, their yeah. products. But I mean, I've seen it a lot more in the past few months. But and also, I noticed that it's more difficult to even get accounts to sell things on Amazon. So it's like Amazon is really trying to weed out people. Yeah. So that maybe they they're their line is going to be, you know, sold. I think it's like they're doing a, you know. Yeah, no, you're right. So, so, so Amazon, this is the, this has been their uh, master plan since 1997. And now because of the lockdown, remember what we said in another episode, everything that was going to, the, the key word is acceleration. Everything that was going to happen 10 years is happening now. So, Amazon's whole model is let's suck in all the sellers, all the stores, and then we'll cut them off and defeat right. them. So, so that's what's happening. I mean, it happened in books, by the way. Yeah. So Amazon has their own publishing yeah. companies that are doing fine. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, now it will happen in clothing. It will happen in electronics. It's right. going to happen in every level. This has always been their business model, but it's starting to happen yeah, now. I've just really seen it the past few months. I was like, wow, this is crazy.
But that's why it's so important develop your side hustle. And people could say, well, why would a side hustle uh, turn into a, a million dollar business? Think about it. Let's say you're a virtual assistant and you're going to, you, you make trade, you know, train reservations for all the cus all the people who sign on at, to be for you to be their virtual assistant. Mm -hmm. You can research each one of your clients. Don't forget the saying, your best new customers are your old customers. You call all your old customers and say, Hey, I have other services I can offer you. You could say, I'll take care of your Instagram account. I'll take care of your LinkedIn. I'll take care of your TikTok, your Facebook. And so gradually, and then you can outsource some of that to India or wherever. And there are websites where you can do that. And you could suddenly build an entire social media agency just from being a virtual assistant for $10 an hour. Now you can start being like a million dollar a month social media agency. And I know people who have built up their social media agencies starting off as a virtual assistant. So. Um, be a lot of a lot of jobs that we just didn't think of, you know, that are going to be created out of all of this. Yeah, like look so. at look at like TikTok. Okay, if I say TikTok to you, what do you think? You think thirteen-year-old girls dancing, mm, right. right? But if you look at the actual statistics, um, if you look at since March first, thirteen-year-olds on TikTok has actually decreased, and the number of thirty-five-year-olds has increased, like by twenty or thirty percent. So TikTok is gradually becoming a mainstream social media uh, outlet. Because they haven't had jobs. Right. That's, that's, that's true. <laughs> We've been making TikTok videos <laughs> for 50-year-olds now. So uh, uh, so imagine a social media agency that helps you on TikTok. Like, there's more and more social media. Like, you know what's huge right now? Pinterest is huge. Like, Pinterest, you can... If you're, yeah, yeah, now you can shop on it. You can shop on Pinterest. So if you're creating yeah. an online store... Right. Pinterest is a great place to go, right. you know, so Pinterest has gotten huge in the past few weeks. There's a lot more to social media than people think. Let's say you're an online store selling pajamas. Okay. I could buy, let's say I want to advertise. I could buy the keyword pajamas on Google, but that might be expensive. Mm -hmm. So there are people and companies who will analyze for you. Oh, it turns out the exact same people who search for pajamas search for you know, I don't know, night lamps, which might be a cheaper keyword mm -hmm. to buy. And so uh, there are there are keyword analyzers and there are social media agencies that will optimize your search engine campaigns so you get just as good results but pay half the money. So for instance, instead of buying the keyword pajamas, you, you, you buy the phrase night PJs mm -hmm. and that will work. Or maybe, um, you know, white women's, you know, sneakers. So instead of sneakers, so that if you buy a phrase, it's like one tenth of price of buying sneakers, but women search, I don't know if you've ever searched for, but women tend to search for white sneakers instead of sneakers. So yeah, so it turns out that's a much cheaper phrase yeah. to buy. So you buy that. So, um, How about renatine uh, to do all your electronic stuff. Like we have five that we can rent out. What's that? People rent a team. Rent a team. Yes. <laughs> I'm just joking. No. <laughs> That's a great idea. Well, we have, we have our, our kids are 18, our, the ages of our kids are 18, 18, 19, 21, and 21. Am I right? Right. I get it confused. Mm -hmm. And there are sites, you know, I tell all of them, there are sites like sittersite.com where you can, you like parents who are sick of babysitting their kids all day long during this lifetime, you will put their baby in front of Zoom right. and you can babysit their kids it's for them crazy. on sittersite.com and get paid. Yeah. Or you could do online tutoring, online homeschooling. 
All these yeah. parents don't want to homeschool. They're happy to uh, mm -hmm. uh, use, you know, our kids to homeschool. So our kids should be side hustling a little bit more. Right. So um, let's see. Oh, it's uh, we have a few more minutes and see if we can have a, a question. Um, can I share some new business ideas I'm seeing right now? So we talked about it a little bit. Obviously, I'm always going to share that, but I always try to come up with new stuff every day or every other day. So the two businesses, the two types of businesses that reach a million dollars in revenue the fastest over this past year, the two types, we talked, we, we briefly talked about one of them, social media marketing agencies. If you want to start with zero costs and quickly build up to a hundred thousand dollars a month, just become an expert on Instagram, Facebook, Google, Pinterest, TikTok. There's new ones, community, uh, who else know, you know, email marketing, uh, MailChimp, Aweber, you know, so there's lots of ways and everybody wants to, because everybody's going online and building these online mm -hmm. stores, social media agencies are greatly in demand. So mm -hmm. to learn the skills, there are plenty, go to Coursera, go to uh, LinkedIn Learning, go to Khan Academy, there's plenty of ways to learn the skills and go to Masterclass and then you start a social media marketing agency start and learn copywriting start with your local dentist and and let's say you become an expert on getting your local dentist more engagement online so he gets more customers now you have a case study now you go virtually to every dentist in the country and sell your services you're the dentist social media agency fastest path to getting to a million number two is start your own fashion line so let's say you have an idea for sneakers okay you can go to alibaba search in sneakers oh it turns out you can buy sneakers you, you know remember the other day uh we had on um what's his name i think it was um blake mccoskey mm -hmm. oh, was that his name uh, uh, the founder of tom's the shoe company yeah and the first and he said he started tom's with five thousand dollars and so i'm like and he never had any experience in shoes before well, now I know how he did that. You go to Alibaba, you type in sneakers, and there's plenty of factories that have been in business for decades, and you see all the reviews and everything, mm -hmm. plenty of factories that will sell you sneakers for $5 a pair of sneakers. Mm -hmm. and, and for an extra dollar, they'll put your, a logo on it so or like a sample. Label. Yeah. yeah, so they'll put a custom logo on it. Mm -hmm. you, can, you can even find out, I would even go and find out, who does Tom's use? What do other sneaker manufacturers use? Go to those factories. They will sell you the same sneakers they're selling Nike, but with your logo on instead of mm -hmm. Nike. Yeah. So I know I know companies that do that. They go to they go to like you know the Igloo air conditioner um, factory mm -hmm. and say, look, don't send ninety percent of your air conditioners to Igloo, but send ten percent to us just with our name on it, and it's the exact same air conditioner. So. Anyway, you can type in sneakers to Alibaba. You can see, oh, $5 a pair, 1,000 order minimum. No problem, I'll order 1,000. And then, you know, there's many ways. It's, it's, we can describe it in another uh, uh, episode, but there are many ways you start selling direct to consumer from your online store. So you could sell them on Etsy, eBay, Amazon, Pinterest, Shopify. Uh, you could start doing blogs about sneakers and why your sneaker is the best. Remember, everything with a story sells better than things right. not with a story. So on eBay, I, I described this example a few months ago, on eBay, they did an experiment. Um, 
someone bought a bunch of knives, a, a set of knives in China for almost nothing, and just without any story, just put it on eBay and sold it. Then took the same set of knives and put it on eBay, but this time told a story. Like these knives come from, you know, Beijing and were made by, you know, these workers who work night and day, you know, designing and the cut, the, the ridges on the knife are made to cut, you know, uh, bats, which are hard to cut through or whatever. You know, you tell a story and story, a story told for 10 times the price as a product without a story. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you, you, there's ways, there are, there are exchanges where you can use this, you can rent the services of an influencer on TikTok right. who will wear your sneakers and say, Hey, everybody buy these cool, you know, choose yourself sneakers. You know, they've got this, you know, totally great design. I'm wearing them right now. And then they have 30 million followers and they'll start buying your sneakers and so on. So, uh, tomorrow I have, uh, something I'm going to introduce, uh, which I think is really exciting where you could, or you're going to be able to send me questions in a different way so I can s answer them or we could both answer them in real time. Also ask more questions of Robin, uh, uh, so that she likes sitting here. And responding to me. You have a lot me. to say today. So. Yeah, I keep talking. I'm, I well, talk have, too much. No, no, you don't. You have a lot. You have a lot of good stuff to say. So there's so sometimes much information you talk out more, there. Sometimes I talk more. So today, anyway, we're... you know what would be great business? This is the business we should start. What? A travel agency to Chess. So, like, <laughs> a tour, like yeah, let's book. A we, tour we, guide. we could basically we book. book we could create a monopoly. We could book every Airbnb and hotel room in Chess. The only way to get to so Chess is through us. We'll take care of the tickets, send their way to the Chaz. We'll make sure they get armed escorts when they're in Chaz and you get to watch a fight. You get to watch an arson and we'll get you Turn safely out of there if the government comes in. So you want to start a business? Boom. That's the idea oh, of the day. You can be an actor in it. Hmm? You can be an actor yeah, you in Chaz. You can be a crisis actor if crisis you want. Crisis actor. So like you could. You Why could, not? Oh, you know what? Oh, let's set up a store in Chaz that if you want, you can blow it up. Like, like, oh okay, so we can make a whole, like, it'd be like Fantasy Island. So it'll be like Chaz Island. Like, the travel agency for Chaz, that is the business idea of the day. Oh, forget forget credit you know, lines like for pawn shops. Create, forget social media agencies. Correct. The new Westworld. Yeah, remember Westworld when, when we were young? The movie, no, it was so cool because you could dress up in, in different, um, you know, I guess, eras. And like you can pretend like you're a cowboy or you were, yeah. By the way, that's just like the West World of now. It is. Oh, I don't <laughs> so there's it. the HBO West World based on the West uh, World. I know, I know it is, so but it didn't have Yul Brenner in it. it. Doesn't have. I like Yul Brenner. was in the yeah, West World. Yeah, original. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, no, you'll. I'll shave my head and and I'll <laughs> be an actor in West World. So, but this is Chaz World. Get your Airbnb. How about jazz, like the James. Well, no, but I'm wanting to send people. I, I actually want to send people to Seattle and let them blow up a building. Let them. We can simulate one here. We could, but we can use Chaz. Chaz is already there. We just create another one. No, but the thing is about Chaz is is that you've got the okay. threat, you've got the fear, you got like what's going to happen next. Is the warlord? What's his name? There's a warlord there. The guy who runs it. They're calling him Warlord Raj or something like that. And. You could get the, the you maybe danger. have a coffee with him or something. Oh, coffee with the warlord. Yes, <laughs> great idea. Twenty four seconds left. I'll put this store on my IGTV. Um, I'll save it there. We'll also put it on YouTube today and podcast.
please share it with people because we want to know that you like this. Leave comments and questions on it. And I'll see you tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Boom. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.